Uh, for the, uh, I just wanted to mention this right in the beginning. Uh, of course, we continue to do this sheer in memory of Esther Basbinyamin, but uh, today um, is also the 22nd day of Shvat. It's the Yortzite of the wife of the uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe. Uh, her name was Chaya Mushka. Um, and I think when you think about great people, most of the time you think about what they've accomplished, like... Uh, you know, in, in, in the, um, there's a concept called, I don't know if you know, there's like 36 hidden tzaddikim. You ever heard of that? Uh, no, no. There are 36 hidden tzaddikim, okay. uh, which are supposedly, they're very righteous people, but they're hidden, so they're not public. Uh, sometimes because they're hidden, they're able to, I guess, serve God more than when you're open because you don't have any of the distractions and a lot of times, you know, they were being uh, like pretending, like to be uh, like a common a common folk, and you know, you didn't, you couldn't tell them, but you can see that they were really pious. Isn't the Messiah supposed to be one of the thirty-six? That's that's you know, he also was 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 hidden in a way, but the, the various different Talmudic um, you know uh, passages about that. But the point over here is. Uh, we generally identify with a tzaddik or a tzaddikis, with somebody that we can sort of put our finger on and say, oh, look what they've accomplished, or, look what they have done, or look at the books that they have authored, or look uh, how many people they inspired, or whatever it takes. And, and we know about uh, about the Rebbe, for example, you know, uh, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of books, and we've known a lot of things. The Rebbe's been a public figure, and um, actually, somebody... Sarah want, got stuck. She'll be a while. Yeah. Um, so, um, the, um, the, um, somebody once said about the Rebbe that the Rebbe is a hidden tzaddik. So, so what do you mean he's a hidden tzaddik? Everybody knows about yeah, him. He's, right. he's very popular and famous. But he says that much that you know about him is so little, little that he's really more hidden than than what you know. But the amazing, and uh, I guess, I don't know if there's many more examples, the Rebbe's wife, uh, notwithstanding the fact that her husband was the leader and got all the respect from world leaders in the United States made the declaration of the Rebbe's birthday, you know, everybody celebrated, you know, it was a tremendous, there's coins, there's stamps, there's very uh, various different kinds of recognition, but most the average people never met, never saw, never heard anything of the rivets. <laughs> she remained in in obscurity. Basically, she shone the spotlight. She she could have had the opportunity to get honor, to uh, be a public figure. She could have had whatever she wanted, and yet. Nothing, zero. You know, one of as one who grew up in the community with the Rebbe, mm-hmm. I've never seen the Rebbe. I mean, oh. I did see her maybe once or twice because she'd come to visit. Um, she'd come to visit her uh, her mother who lived in the seven seventy or for other occasions. Rarely, rarely, never to a public gathering. And sometimes somebody's greatness is lies actually in the lack of. Uh, self-recognition and the total staying in the uh, out of the spotlight underneath allowing for the Rebbe being a support for the Rebbe and um, and the Rebbe leading a very private personal life even though the Rebbe was a public figure but his personal life 
nobody was privy to, nobody knew what the Rebbe's personal life was. <coughs> but after the passing, like there was never a show of passion or anything, or speaking about, you know, like family, about his wife, about anything. There was no, no mention of that at all. But it, it, after her passing, you know, the Rebbe sort of spoke very, um, very passionately about it. And it was like, uh, uh, you know, the Rebbe's emotional, you can see, you know, the Rebbe was, was crying and everything else. And, you know, and it was like, it was a Kaddish and the Tavim for all year. And the most amazing thing is we walked into the Rebbe's house. We would never be at the Rebbe's personal home. 770 was the uh, headquarters. That was the shul. That was where everything was, but not the Rebbe's home. The Rebbe's home was just for for himself. Just 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 talk about the Rebbe's home. Like it's interesting. First thing is when the Rebbe walked walk into his house. Every time as he walked into his house, he'd go to the windows and make sure that the windows are locked. Interesting, amazing. He'd go by. You can see from the outside. Just check. I mean, it's in New York City, so right, you know, right, right. and maybe because he has some diligent chassidim also, so you gotta be careful. You know, who knows what somebody may be up to. But but the point was that after the Rebbe had passed away, so the Rebbe actually sat sheva in his home on on President Street. That's the shul was on Eastern Parkway. This is on President Street. So the Rebbe sat sheva at his home, and everybody got an opportunity to go into the Rebbe's home. As a matter of fact, for the entire year. The Rebbe davened, and um, you know, the Rebbe didn't have any physical children. And uh, the story goes that uh, sometimes one of the kids was some some later on, you know, some stories came out. You know, some people did go in there, and uh, <coughs> the story was told that one one of the kids went there, asked the Rebbe, "says Where are your children?" <laughs> asked, "Where are your children?" And she said, "Well, all the Hasidim are my children." <laughs> wow, but no. There's Why no physical. Rebbe had no. That didn't give him any physical children. It's an amazing. It's an amazing thing that from the um, from the previous Rebbe, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, there is no. There's not one physical living uh, descendant. Um, the, um, the 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 um, previous Rebbe was an only son. He was an only son. Somehow, I'm not sure. Whether it had to do, but one of the, one of the things today it's a no no. But over there, they got married a lot into the family. There was a lot ah, of all okay. cousins. Okay. And yeah, what, did, what, did, what did my my cousin Sarah, who's a, a PhD biologist, she said, you know, look, the Svardim are lucky. You know, we Ashkenazim, we all come from a village with nine hundred twenty seven people. That's it. You know, that's the whole that, gene pool. That's why. <laughs> so, that's why marriage is a Svardi. <laughs> What do you mean the Sephardic are lucky? Because there's so many different countries. There were so many of them. There were various. Wow, so that's interesting, because this book that I just finished, The Jerusalem Maiden, in the Haredi, if they didn't bear children, they had to divorce. If she, if the wife couldn't there is, bear children... There is the law like that. There, is the there, law there like was that. divorce, because the reason they married was to have, have children. A family. And, that's and part mostly of the, boys, of course. Yeah. They treasure the boys. And so what happened like was... like the Indians. No. The Indians set their girls on fire. Yeah, well. Oh, I thought that was a joke. I don't know. Okay, what happened? But what, 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 it's interesting that you mentioned this because the previous Rebbe was an only son. Now, I, I'm not, I just said it. I'm not sure if it had to do with the genes. You know, sometimes right. it works that it, you know, as we know it, I think sometimes it works that it creates um, actually very uh, genius, uh, outstanding scars. Sometimes there's a lot of... Uh, 
problem. So, but in any event, the previous Rebbe was an only child. The previous Rebbe himself had three daughters. Now, the three daughters, one of them unfortunately <coughs> were murdered together with her husband by the Nazis. Uh, they were murdered. The other two, uh, one married the Rebbe, and the other one married the older daughter, Hannah, Rebbe Tzalchana, and um, they had one son, only one son. But that son did not have any children either. Wow. He adopted two children, but he had no children of his own. And he had no, no children also. So when he passed, <coughs> actually there is right. no, it's totally uh, from the Rebbe Rashab, it's, it's totally uh, cut off. There's no, uh, but on the other hand, you know, we have actually all these followers <laughs> to, right. to continue to perpetuate. That's what she said. But just going back to the, the fact that her greatness lie not in what she could demonstrate to everybody what she did, but rather by her self uh, effacement, so to speak, and being there for the for the Rebbe and never uh, uh, never uh, leaving the Rebbe alone like she would wait till the Rebbe would come home. And, you know, we found a lot of different things later on. Hi, hi. Okay, no problem. I know the traffic, I saw it coming down that line over there. <laughs> Um, yeah, but we, we were actually schmoozing, so we're ready to get started. <laughs> you came just in time. We were talking about the... the, the, the camp. And um, it's warming up a little bit here, too. Yeah, no, it is. It's warming up. No, it's actually it's warming up. And um, so I guess that um, we're learning Mishnah. So today it's appropriate also to include when we talk about the Rebetzin uh, I was saying that uh, my Rebetzin, my wife, she's in New York actually for a special gathering to, to commemorate the the memory of the Rebetzin, Chaya uh, Mushka. And um, um, just one one final um, word about her, which the Rebbe related. You know, they had this whole um, whole big thing about the books. The previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, her father, had a very extensive library. He had a extensive library with precious book, and priceless, and they, um, and um, the grandson, that son that I said, the older's daughter, Chana, Reb Zahana, her son, Roshon Dolbert, he didn't go along with Chabad, he did his own thing, so, but he um, snuck in quietly, and he started taking the books, and he started selling them, Boy. he made them. You know, the books, they had a sitter from the Baal Shem Tov. You know, those fetched hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, they had old people that are collectors that collect old, uh, it was priceless. And eventually he was caught and eventually came to court. You know, it was, it was a big court case about it. They it did or the real, what? Court, the real court? Or? It was a court. No, Basedin couldn't handle this. <laughs> this, was, this was beyond the Basedin. This was something which needed the real court. And... Uh, uh, by the way, it's interesting you say today's parsha begins that is, is from where we learn that Jewish people must go to a bet din to a Jewish court and not go to a to a civil court. You know, they have to first straighten out in the bet din. But one of the allowances to go to a uh, civil court would be if the bet doesn't have the power or if it's going to be a big loss. So, say for example, in this case, 
he didn't listen to the Beisden, so he was selling books in the meantime. And by the time you can get the Beisden, and by the time you can get him to comply, is there going to be any books left? So you, you have to go to court, and you have an injunction, and you have a right. assist and assist. You know, you can't, no, you can't do it anymore, and then you can stop him. So there is legitimacy. There is, and there, there were, in this case, it was it was that. But any in any event, it was um, it was a court case. What was the question in front of the judge? And, you know, it was a whole. It should be a jury, but it was a judge. You know, there was a lot, whole series of interesting divine providence miracles that took place. But what was the bottom line question? The bottom line question is this: personal the books that were. Uh, collected by the previous Rebbe, is this his personal property? Is that the Rebbe's property? And therefore, if it's his personal property, then, um, you know, he's a, an heir. Uh, his mother is an heir, so he gets one half or one third, whatever it is, he right. gets one, so it belongs to him, so then he's right to it. Or is it the property of the organization? It's not personal property. <laughs> It's property of the organization, and therefore, you know, nobody gets it. It doesn't belong to any individual. It belongs to the community. It belongs to Chabad. It belongs to the organization. That was the question before the judge. He was going back and forth. They had to prove it was a whole long court case. So they deposed the Rebison, the Rebison wife. We're talking about her yard. So the deposers, the lawyer came to her house. And also they tried to, you know, they tried to degrade, to get the Rebbe to come to testify in court, which would be not uh, respectful for the Rebbe to do, but they tried. But, you know, Baruch Hashem, there was a lot of miracles. The judge didn't allow for the plots where they had planned for the Rebbe. So, they, so it worked out okay there. But they asked, so the, the bottom line, they asked the Rebbetzin, the Rebbetzin Chaim Mushka, who's yours this today, they asked her the question. They said to her, look, what is your opinion? Who does these belong to? Straight out, who do these books belong to? Did they belong to your father? Or do they belong to the Hasidim? What do you think? She answered, she says, my father and his books belong to the Hasidim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she said, it's not a question either or. Yeah. <laughs> Even my father's whole life, his whole dedication was, uh, was for Hasidim. Wow. One of the things of, that we saw by the Rebbe, you know, the Rebbe was a giant in, 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 in knowledge. He knew he was brilliant beyond brilliant and when I, the more I learn and the more I study I, I'm just blown away every time just of the intense knowledge it's not like you know when you see uh, you say to yourself okay I'm going to lift weights so I'm going to soon I'm going to be able to lift uh, 50 pounds right, 60, right, 100 right, right. am I going to be able to lift 1,000 pounds no you know just forget it you know there's some people just are knowledgeable holier they're just on a different level you, it doesn't matter you can't you can't catch up with them there's nothing what you're going to do you're not going to win the marathon you're not going to and you know in such Rebbe's in a whole different league by, by himself and yet you see how the Rebbe's devotion and how he sort of self-effacement subjugated himself to his father-in-law and and the Rebbe with all of his greatness you know sometimes it's expected if a person who is not so big, he can, you know, he can listen to somebody else. But if you're really understanding, if you think that you understand better than the other, how do you subjugate yourself to somebody else? I know better than you. Right. And it was amazing. Like if you look at the gray, at the tombstone, like by the Rebbe, the, the, there is the title Hagaon. Gaon means the genius. When you look by his father-in-law, it doesn't say Hagaon. It was a rabbi, but it doesn't say Hagaon. In other words, 
the reason why I'm saying this is in some level, at some revealed level, the Rebbe's geniuses was beyond even even his father was. And then you say, how could the Rebbe, who is a greater maybe genius and knows more in, 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 in different places, subjugate himself self-effacement in front of the Rebbe? But the Rebbe was, first of all, a servant of God. Which means he was in this world to serve Hashem. Who told the Rebbe how to serve Hashem? It was his father-in-law who gave him the guidance who he respected. So the Rebbe took all of his gifts, what Hashem has given him, his brilliance, his leadership, his, his talents, whatever he had, he put it all in into the work and the service of his father-in-law, what he told him. That was, to the Rebbe was holy. It wasn't a matter of self. It wasn't, there was no self-recognition or ego or anything of that sort. That makes great, great people. So it's not like I'm going to measure who knows better. That wasn't even a question. I am doing what HaKadosh Baruch Hu, what Hashem wants me to do. This is my mission in life. All the talents and the gifts that God has given me is going to be utilized to further the work of my father-in-law. And the Rebbe had a real understanding of his father-in-law. He knew the holiness of his father-in-law. He knew his greatness. And that's why the Rebbe spearheaded a lot of campaigns and a lot of work and changed basically the landscape. But... If you started up with his father-in-law, <laughs> that was it, you know. So like with the books, when it came to the books, it touched the Rebbe so deeply, and it hurt the Rebbe so much. He was so, he was in so much pain that he, you can hear him talk. I was there at the time that he would talk. He was in such immense pain because this was the guy, this was the Moshe Rabbeinu. To the Rebbe, this was the Moshe Rabbeinu of our generation, was his father-in-law. And notwithstanding, even all the years after the, his father's in-law's passing, the Rebbe always continued to refer to his father-in-law as the leader of our generation. He sort of looked at himself as like a monitor of a class. You know, when, when the teacher leaves for a little bit, he takes he's, he's going to be supervised. So the Rebbe looked at himself as supervising, but it wasn't him. It was never, there was never, in all these years, there was never a word. But when you look at the Rebbe's and talking about the Rebbe's and now, you see that kind of, of, of humility, that kind of... And, and really, we're not talking about, you know, people, you know, use humility as a quality. Well, not only is he great, but he's also humble. <laughs> you know, that they use that, um, you know, like there's a uh, saying, it says in the Pirkei Avot, it says in the Ethics of Our Fathers, it says that, you know, those who run after honor, the honor runs away from them. Mm. But those, those who run away from honor, the honors follow them. And the Rebbe once said, well, some people run away from the honor, they turn their back to make sure <laughs> that the honor is following, you know, they want to, they want to see to it. That, uh, where is he buried, the Rebbe? He's at the Oval. That's where we're making oh, the okay. trip to, to the Oval, to the Rebbe's and to the gravesite. That's in Queens over there. It's called uh, Cambria. So he didn't believe in Cambria Israel Hutt. either until the Messiah? Is that, what does he mean, believe his, in Israel? Well, I know that some ultra-Orthodox... Honey, Haredi is not about... Oh, I know, I know, but I'm just no, saying, okay. so like, why wasn't he okay. buried in Israel? Like, okay. Was that not important? The, um, the, um, well, let me just answer that, then I want to learn the Mishnah, okay. but uh, I'm not trying to avoid your no, question, no, no. but um, um, there's two parts when you talk about Israel. Um, it seems, again, I'm not the last word expert, I'm just telling you, according to my understanding, to the Rebbe, um, Israel is a haven is a God's 
send gift to the Jewish people mm-hmm. to save after the Holocaust, after the devastation, a place right. where Jews can defend themselves, a place where Jews can go live, and a place where we can uh, sort of uh, prosper. What? But the government of Israel doesn't necessarily follow the rules the way they should. The Rebbe fought very strongly. The Rebbe fought a lot of a lot what of measures. Like the, one of the things, the religious rules. Uh, yeah, like like for the Rebbe. Can I just say some, one thing simplistically? United States of America is founded upon God. Yeah. Israel is not. Okay, that's okay. That's okay. You're getting, but the, but the point of like what we're saying, for example, the Rebbe was very much against uh, giving back territory uh, to to the Rebbe. And again, the Rebbe saw things very, very clearly. I mean, we have to understand, based also, uh, based on what I uh, explained before, we all have certain considerations. Like, you know, we're talking about before, we can't antagonize the Americans. You know, Obama is still our president. If we get him angry, that's not good. He's done good things. And there's a lot of considerations that you have. You know, you have to weigh and see what is the right way, what overweight now. You mentioned maybe this is in danger. We can't have another Holocaust. So, who cares about getting angry? Is this the Holocaust? This is not. What? But there's a lot of uh, we don't see things very clearly. That's why we have various different opinions. A lot of people they want they want the best for Israel for the Jewish people, mm-hmm. but they just don't see things the same way. People see things differently, and you know. What are, everybody thinks that they their approach is the right. That's so why we have the Likud, we have the uh, centrist parties, you have Herzog, you have all the different. Yeah, we can't even name them anymore because there's so many, so many parties. Them. Okay, so you have, but there is one thing is for sure, there is not uh, there's not such clarity, or we're not sure a hundred percent. You know, we're we want to do what are the best options, but it's amazing. The Rebbe saw things very clearly. He saw, and he fought for what he saw. To the Rebbe, giving away territory, nothing to do with the holiness of Israel or, or some, because it's a gift that God has given us, we can't give it away. To the Rebbe, giving away territory based on halacha and based on the Rebbe's first-hand knowledge with his discussions with the army uh, people that came to visit the Rebbe. The Rebbe says that if you compromise with them, you are actually bringing the danger closer to home. It's endangered Rebbe giving back territory, which has been proven over and over again. Giving back the territory. Now, there's only, you, you, you need a physical space. You know, we know the, the rockets are closer, the, everything is closer. We gave them back the Gaza. What did it give us? It just gave us closer. More stories. So we're, we're, we're fine. So the Rebbe kept on saying that, you know, the Rebbe here. Now, I just want to bring this up. You, you know, we can, uh, you know, uh, agree or disagree. The Rebbe was against giving back the Sinai Peninsula with all the oil fields to Egypt. The Rebbe was against it, vehemently against that. Now, one can say now, from what we see now, well, maybe that seemed like not such a bad deal. At least we got Egypt off our back and, you know, we're... we're the, but again, it's hard for us to argue. Maybe right now we don't see, and a lot of times it takes some more years to really find out. And it's hard to know what if. I mean, what would have been if we didn't, or what, how things would turn out. We don't know for sure. But the point that I want to make is that the Rebbe fought for Israel. You ask me, what is it going according to halacha? The Rebbe. What's the Zionist? The Rebbe got involved in all parts. The Rebbe was a very strong... Not, not the Sama. 
No, no. Not what? No. Not the summer. They're the ones that like to hang out with the Iranians. No, no. Yeah, you know, the do you know That's something? The, there's a sect Haredi of them. Is, is, it's, the, it's the ones with the pinstripes. You as opposed don't, to the, you, the, the, you the don't know. Fly, they wear everybody's got a, their own shit. Are, are we going to learn today a little bit? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Let's go learn. Let's, you know, yeah. Well, let's go learn a little bit. Okay? All right. Okay. Let's learn a little bit. Um, all right. So we have 